1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Waking Up to Narcissism, Episode 6. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I will thank you every single time I get on the microphone for the feedback to this podcast five what, six episodes in and i've been putting all the emails on a google document and it is just it is insanely long and i just want to pull a line from a book on one of the guests that i had on the virtual couch julie lee her book is called i see you and i really do i see you and i hear you and i i someday hope to be able to just read all of the emails and uh, maybe that's a whole podcast series in and of itself Because I feel like the more people are hearing the examples of people that are waking up to the narcissism in their relationships, the more that they feel heard and understood and like they're not crazy. Just in this last week, I've received emails about people that are recognizing narcissistic traits in their workplace with their boss, or narcissistic traits from siblings, or from uh, people in their church, or you name it. And the traits all start to feel pretty similar. So I wanna share a lot of those. Today, we're gonna talk about. How do you tell someone, how do you, how do you get your friends to understand when you finally feel like, oh my gosh, this makes sense. I'm not crazy. Here's, a, here's an example um, and a wonderful email. How can I explain what's happening in my marriage with a narcissist? So, the person said, thank you for all you do to help those like me who are in relationships with a narcissist. It's really kind. but She said, you've helped more than all the therapists that I went to. They just didn't know and neither did I what the real issue was. Now, I'm learning and understanding my situation. How do I explain it to others? As an example, I was trying to explain why I was so distraught, horribly sad, scared, considering divorce to uh, a woman in her church and the woman just had no clue or this, the person writing the email said, I had no clue how to explain what I was struggling with, especially when the person I'm I'm explaining it to has no concept of what a relationship with the narcissist is. She had no idea that what I was telling her was a trigger to trauma. And it only sounded petty and silly that something so insignificant could be so upsetting to me. And I felt so frustrated because I didn't know where to even begin. And I, I would imagine a lot of you that are listening right now feel this way. She said since then I felt a little shunned and that she thinks I'm petty and overly sensitive and I try not to feel that way but I can see her point of view. Is there a quick way to inform someone of the nature of the relationship? She says it's going to be so hard going through this and not being able to explain or express the magnitude of the situation only to hear that I should forgive, give them the benefit of the doubt, do more and get past it and and I love this point. She says I've been doing that for well over 30 years. And she says, I'm, I'm tired of being seen as petty and unforgiving and a mental case. Is there any way I can explain my situation clearly? And the the quick answer, and man, bless your heart. And again, I can imagine if I put a call out to everybody listening and just said, hey, shoot me a quick email if you have felt the same, now I'm going to be inundated with emails saying absolutely. So to the person that, that wrote this, I want you to know there will be so many people that will again say, that is my story. That is my experience. And I keep my tab open when I'm taking notes in sessions, and I have one tab in particular that is called Death by a Thousand Cuts. And I think right there, if you have been in this situation, you will see where I'm headed with this, that if, if the person, and they, people say this so often, if they would just if they would just hit me, then people would say, oh my gosh, get out of this relationship. But if they are just nicking you with a, a thousand tiny paper cuts, at some point, you're going to bleed to death. But when people see the paper cut, they think it's not a big. It's really not a big deal. You're going to heal up, or put a bandaid on it, or it's not a big deal. Or he probably didn't even mean to do it anyway. So this is on you. And so I just feel like these death by a thousand cuts uh, vibe just continues to to permeate how bad this situation is. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to do something kind of fun here. I'm recording this the day before I typically release it, and I again have this uh, private group of women who are are trying to figure out how to maneuver, get through, get over, work with their relationships with narcissistic people in their lives. And I'm going to pose the question to the group. And then I am going to come back on here later today, tonight. And I'm going to I'm going to ask for some examples of these death by a 1000 cuts. So let me do that. This will be fun to do this to the group. And then I will give some examples and we'll keep on going. Hey, everybody. Okay, I am back. It's later in the day. I'm really curious if you can hear the white noise machine. I'll have to check that out when I'm doing the editing. But I did turn to the group and I want to read the post. I have 52 comments in just the last few hours. So I just said, hey, everybody, thanks for being there. Eh, oh, I, can't, I guess I could skip that part. But I said, let me set the stage. I'm recording episode six of the podcast. I'm reading and answering a question about how you can tell somebody about the difficulties of your relationship when they think it doesn't sound that bad. So they will say things like, at least he's not hitting you. You need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Just move forward and all of those things. And I started talking about how I call it death by a thousand cuts and that that is a pattern of so many little things that you're essentially bleeding out all over all of the small things. And I impulsively said I was going to stop recording, pose the question to the group, finish the recording later tonight. So if you have a minute and you don't mind me reading your examples, I won't use your name and have some examples of the small consistent patterns of behavior you've experienced. Can you share them below? And then I just shared that some super quick examples I had from some of the emails that have come in are just things like... I that you can't spend money on an educational course that you want, because he has said that you're strapped financially, but then he orders the NFL package a couple of days later, because that is his therapy. And I do I'll just take that quick pause and say I'm going to be saying he is narcissist, she as not narcissist. And I know these roles and genders can be reversed. Another one is well, here. Let's dig into this. So, 52 comments later, I'm just going to start at the top. The first person talked about that these argument, the arguments every single time before a guest came to our house, whether it was a kid's birthday party, a Christmas celebration, or having friends over for dinner. Which this uh, she said she stopped doing years ago because of this. Literally up until five minutes before they arrived, and then the blaming if she didn't participate in the argument. And once she saw the pattern, then. He got frustrated, and then the, I don't know why you started this argument kind of vibe came. Another example, she said also, he would say, you're so much better than I am at parenting every time boundaries have to be set for the kids. So then she had to be the one that set the boundaries or be the bad guy. Even to teachers and professionals, he would say, she's so much better at parenting than I am. Just call her. She'll take care of it. Pretending helplessness when it comes to just about everything, meaning I do all the parenting and paperwork. He does all the playing and but playing, which is a very unreasonable demand, which is painted as a compliment. And someone else commented there, their friend's therapist told them that this phrase is called weaponized incompetence. And it fits my ex so well and it reminds me of this. And I am telling you, I have I really like this phrase, weaponized incompetence. And I shared in the group that I am borrowing that one. Weaponized incompetence. We will We will talk about that often, I'm sure. Uh, Let me get to another one. This is an interesting point. This person, I so appreciate. This is why I love that people can hear other people hear their voice, that this is an interesting point. She said that I've been thinking about a lot after listening into the group calls. I've been thinking about this myself, and I've been thinking at least he's not having an affair or drinking. And I also have been thinking I wish he would because maybe it would be more clear because he is so good and responsible in so many other areas that it makes it seem gray for some reason. She said, but anytime I bring an issue or a feeling to home, he has a tagline that he just repeats. It would be used to, it used to be, gee, I feel sorry for you. Your life must be so hard. Then he moved on to, are you exaggerating or making a big deal out of nothing? Or are you making that up? Because I would never speak to you in that way. Now he's on to, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea I was doing that. Or I didn't even realize it was a problem. And she said, he says that he's trying right now, but with all the sarcasm about everything, it really is hard to know what's real. And I will say again, I don't want this podcast to sound like this is just a complaint session. What I want it to feel like is that you are heard, that you are not the only one going through this and that there is a lot of information that you can gather that will help you be more confident and hopefully find yourself in a better place where you aren't reactive, where you are being more proactive and not taking the bait, as we say a lot of times. Okay, uh, a couple other examples. One of the women said, we can't afford to go on a trip, but then he is secretly stashing money to buy a gun. Another person talked about the weaponized incompetence. Can't find where to pick the child up from soccer practice. Can't take work off early to help the kids, but then goes in at 10 or 11 a.m. Shops for healthy groceries for three hours while her family is in town and they're at the pool. Won't let uh, her family use our shower. We only have two because it's his. Can't get up with the kids in the morning because he needs seven hours of sleep. Or showing up late when she needs his help but then since everything worked out fine then it's all okay but she said it works out fine because of how hard she works and i appreciated this so much she said sometimes it seems silly writing these out and that and she still finds doubt creeping in but it truly is death by a thousand cuts and uh, someone else had commented that it's so accurate that people were saying that this describes my life as well and I love that another person jumped in to support that comment and said, it does feel silly writing these, but it's so therapeutic for me to both write them and read the examples that, yeah, they are completely nonsensical and double standard behaviors that no normal adult would feel comfortable showing. And, and I just expressed that I really appreciated that people are sharing these because absolutely, it can feel silly, but look at how easily these flow and how many of them there are. And I I guaranteed people that as I shared these examples of this death by a thousand cuts or this weaponized incompetence, that I I can imagine I'm going to get a lot of emails with examples as well. Another person that's new to the group said that this really clicked for them, the right phrase, weaponized incompetence, especially because her husband prides himself on being smarter than 90% of the population. And these are, they're hard. They're hard to read. One of the people in the group I know quite well, her husband would often say, if you were a decent person. Or, gee, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect like you. The weaponized incompetence is such a great phrase. She said that she is still expected to be his secretary. He filed his taxes wrong, but it was her fault because she didn't tell him some information about the divorce. And I just, it just, it truly does um, break my heart. Another woman shared that when they have a fight, he would say, I've had to put up with you for four months. Then later in the argument, I've had to put up with you for six months. Then later, six years and then he would also say no man could be with you without ending up being angry and tired like me and or he says i say these things to help you and those are the things that just break my heart and again if you were to share just a couple of those with a friend i would imagine they would say well that's not so bad i'm sure maybe he was argue or he was angry or tired or lonely or hungry or one of those things. So it's just, it's hard. And I do call that when people then start to bump up the numbers, I will call that often narcissistic math, which someone had a really funny comment in the group about that that can be even more confusing than common core math. So there are a few more. One of the women said that her mom used to say sticks and stones break bones, but words will never hurt me. But she identified that that is completely untrue, that words can actually hurt worse than hitting, that the bruises and broken bones may eventually heal, but the words and the wounds they cause take more time to heal and sometimes don't, that that psychological and emotional abuse is so much more insidious. Because they aren't visible scars and bruises. She said that she usually tries to explain it as hitting with words. And again, between the weaponized incompetence and hitting with words, it's just fascinating. And I I thought this was interesting. And this is why I just appreciate getting more data and getting more data out there. And I I really am going to do a little bit more digging and see if I can find someone that uh, can come on and talk about this. But she said... The eye opener for her was when her son went for a neurofeedback therapy. She said they could show me on a screen my son's brainwaves and he, and he had been made the scapegoat of the family and had been the prime target of the narcissistic abuse for several years. She said they showed me a typical kid's pattern and her son's pattern and the pattern of an abused child and her son's looked like the abused child. So she said she finally actually had this visual proof of the bruises or the damage that had been done, though you could see nothing on the outside. Again, breaks my heart. And then there's another person that said that this is so extremely heartbreaking and fascinating. And she too would like to see more of that research. And I really am going to take a look at that because I... I and, and I can't speak to this. I, I haven't been through a divorce. I, I don't have a narcissistic spouse. And so I am going to do a lot more moving forward with some co-parenting with uh, someone that has narcissistic tendencies or, or personality disorder tendencies, because it's a completely different animal in the co-parenting. And so I think that that awareness is something that is happening for a lot of people right now. And I wish at times that there was a, a real tangible way. To put a, almost like a math score to it, because I, I know that people often stay because they say we're st- I'm staying because of the kids. But there is enough data out there now and I've had I have enough anecdotal data as well in my office, where when the kids are experiencing this narcissistic abuse or trauma or the gaslighting or this it's called CPTSD complex post traumatic stress disorder, that it does cause them to it raises their cortisol level, their their little stress levels. And you know, they were all on high alert, because they're not quite sure which version of their parent they're going to see. Is it the fun loving one? Is it the happy one? Is it the, the mean one? And so, it just keeps you on edge. And in Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, he has this phrase he says where the neurons that fire together fuse together. So, over time, this baseline of cortisol... It's high. So then, even when someone gets out of that environment for a little while, when they are in a calming environment, it, their brain almost feels like it has this withdrawal of the cortisol or of the stress hormone, which is why sometimes people thrive more in chaos because they feel like if there isn't chaos, that something feels off or wrong. So the brain almost wants to go back to what it feels is the. Uh, baseline or this homeostasis level. So, the, the stuff around the brain is pretty interesting. Um, I now remember where I was going with that. And that's just that at times, I feel like when people do get out of the the emotionally abusive relationships, they one of the things they hesitate is they don't want to not be there to buffer for the kids. And so, I again, is it anecdotal data or is there data that we could find that, that truly backs this up? But I have found that when the couple split, that then when the kids are in the home where there is not the emotional abuse, that they are able to relax, be more of themselves. And then when they are back in with the maybe the narcissistic tendency parent, then yeah, that cortisol can spike more. But I feel like over the long haul, that then it, there's a net benefit to having at least 50% of the time or whatever the custody arrangement may be where the child, is, feel they feel safe, they feel heard, they feel like they can express their emotions and they're not going to just be um, living in the sphere of what's the reaction going to be. We're going to try to find a lot of that stuff here too. Oh boy, I could just keep going on. There's a couple of other examples. You guys know I hate to be late and then always happen to go to the bathroom as we sat waiting for him in the car and she said every single morning for years, literally And I just shared that this reminds me of the things like you hear often so many times these stories of the narcissistic parent um, not stopping on a road trip unless they want to stop. Kids happen to hold their pee for hours. I hear so many of those stories. Or you're walking around Disneyland. I gave this example. It was a real example on one of my other podcasts. One of My my other, The Virtual Couch, when I was doing a narcissist episode where someone talked about where they were basically just following along their husband and the kids. If he wanted a drink, then they got a drink. If he needed to go to the bathroom, they would go to the bathroom. If he liked the ride, they they could go on the ride. And it's just wild. I don't know if I've said this phrase yet on this um, podcast, but I did an episode on the virtual couch where I was talking about control and I was talking about control and relationships. And I just love this phrase where you can have love or control in an adult relationship, not both. And oftentimes people try to control in order to feel love, but what they're doing is the they're using the wrong tool. We need to let someone else have their own experience. We need to validate that and be curious, not controlling. I'll do another one here. A, a couple of mother, others that someone else talking about being late said that's so funny because their narcissistic ex always complained about her being late, but he has no concept of time. And she said that now that we are divorced, she said, I am never late. I thought that one was a, a little bit of a, a proof in the pudding, of the tape. So, So while I am being as authentic and transparent as I can be, it's a new day. I, I left my office last night. I came in this morning and I am going to do just a lot of reading right now because as I came in this morning before I am starting to see clients and finishing up this podcast, I, it's, I am overwhelmed by the amount of examples. Just So now we're talking well within 24 hours of examples of this death by a thousand cuts and I realize that this is so much gaslighting. So people need to be heard, they need to be able to express themselves and people need to hear um, other people's examples. Because if you're going through this, you will so identify with so much that I'm about to read. So I'm just going to read for a little bit. One of the people in the group said, the daily tiny little criticisms are what really ended up my being my breaking point. I couldn't cut vegetables correctly. If I turned on the lights, they were too bright. If I didn't turn on the lights, it was why do you sit here in the dark? If I opened the blinds in the morning, I would get chewed out because he wasn't dressed yet. If I didn't open them, it was because I was lazy and he had to do everything. He would read an article or two about my longtime passionate hobby and proclaim to know more about it than I did, sometimes in front of my friends to make me look like less than an expert than he was at even one thing in my life. My taste in furniture or art, entertainment, like music and movies, home decor was constantly belittled. The list of examples is never-ending. And when I would ask him to stop criticizing me, the response was always, I'm just giving you suggestions on how to do something better. Fine. I guess you just don't want to ever learn to be better at anything in life. I guess you are just perfect. You're perfect at everything. Jeez, you're so sensitive. And she says, I'm in the process of separating and now I can't wait to relearn to love my life and feel free to do whatever I want, when I want and how I want and how powerful. Oh my goodness, how powerful that is to hear that part because imagine a relationship and this is how relationships need to be where both of you have your own thoughts, opinions, passions, and then you are going alongside each other in life in a parallel line, and in between you is curiosity. Curiosity and connection, and tell me more, and what do you think, and what's that like for you? That builds passion, it builds a connection, and that is what the control completely eliminates in a relationship. A woman responded to that list I just read and said, oh man, I could cut and paste many of the lines to your story to mine, the blinds, the thermostat gave me anxiety. I spent way too much of my thought energy trying to figure out if he would want them up or down. You would think I wouldn't be confused because, after all, he told me all the time how it should be done. But this is how to keep, this is one of his how to keep the house cool theories. And they were always changing. The phrase, uh, damned if I do, damned if I don't, went through my head way too much. And to that, someone responded, yep, I said that phrase constantly. Someone else then responded and said, I can, I can identify with this. But when I asked him to stop criticizing me, he said he isn't doing it. I absolutely refuse to be the driver anymore because he made me so nervous. I began to do stupid stuff. Why are you in this lane? Pass that guy. Find your gas pedal. Don't hesitate. Why are you going this way? And this just shows you just how, again, how people just need to be heard and understood. And these situations are happening. They're going on and they're not okay. Because now that someone brought up driving, then someone else then said, okay, oh, the backseat driver. Yeah, I haven't driven us anywhere in over a decade unless he happens to be drunk and it's the only option. To which somebody said, oh my gosh, yes, telling me how to drive. We were recently on a road trip, and I took turns driving a car with a trailer attached within five minutes. As I went slow, he told me to go faster. As I went fast, he told me to slow down, and I snapped at him to stop telling me how to drive, to which he threatened that he wouldn't let me drive. And she said, ridiculous. And man, this one, because here we talk about people say, well, I wish I was physically, you know, I wish he would at least hit me, then I would know, then I would know I I wasn't crazy. And so, as sad as this part is, someone jumped in and said that they were raised by a team of narcissists who actually did a lot of hitting and choking, grabbing and shoving, but she said, I almost preferred that to the emotional abuse of minding my own business and being randomly criticized. I'd get yelled at to do the dishes right away, then I'd get yelled at for making noise doing the dishes. I'd get yelled at for not worshiping my father, <clears throat> excuse me, but as soon as he got home and I greet him nicely and ask about his day, he pointed me and say, four ice cubes and a Coke. If I made eye contact while he was berating me, I'd get hit for having an attitude. But if I looked down, he'd he'd yell at me to look at him when he was talking to me. If I didn't cry while being yelled at, then I was selfish and ungrateful. But if I did cry, I was manipulating everyone and trying to get attention and pity. If I didn't play a sport, I would lose privileges. But when I played a sport well, I owed him so much for how well I was doing at something that I loved. If I changed my hair, he'd laugh at it. If I kept it long, he'd make a creepy comment about how he preferred women with long hair. So then I pulled it back. When we were home during the day, we couldn't afford AC, but when he got home at night, he turned it down to 70. When I went shopping for food, I got $40 and had a meal plan on a budget. When he went to the store, he got name brand everything and would complain about how crappy the food was that I bought. And she said at that time she was 16 and running the house. He would watch dirty movies, I'd get up to leave, and I'd get yelled at for being a prude and told to sit down again. So I'd sit through those scenes and try to not even look because it would set him off, and then after a few minutes after it was over, I'd say he'd use the bathroom and I would never come back. Or I'd be watching something, he'd change the channel, so I'd get up to leave, and he'd get mad that I didn't want to watch uh, Fox News since I was clearly watching something else on his TV. If I made a cake for someone's birthday, he'd ask why it wasn't his favorite, German chocolate. If it was for somebody's birthday, we'd go to his favorite restaurant, and if somebody voiced a different preference, he'd get offended that we all didn't like what he liked, and he'd try to gaslight us by saying, It's your favorite, too. We all love it here. It's our place. And I, I just hope that you can just feel the emotional uh, whiplash that occurs when these things happen in in a relationship. And if you are hearing this, if somebody's forwarded this to you, or if you're just starting to wake up to these narcissistic traits or tendencies, bless your heart. I mean, there are people that are going through this or people have been through this. And I'm grateful that you're starting to find your feet or your ground or your voice. Someone else then said, I relate to so many of these exact examples. She said, is there a handbook? And, and unfortunately, uh, there's not, but you can see the consistency of these things, which is uh, the big, one of the big, biggest reasons why I put this podcast together. we've we'll, we'll got a couple more of these. Another person said lots of veiled insults and passive aggressive comments. Somebody, somebody left their coffee cup in the sink and I'm sick of being expected to wash it. I always feel like I, the need to explain, but she said, I realized I just need to stay quiet. If I say I'm in the middle of making breakfast, I figure I'd wash the dishes all at once. Then he goes on to tell me, oh, no, no, it's all the time. I'm always expecting him to clean up, et cetera. I've never expected this, but he expects a clean sink in a kitchen when he arrives to do whatever he wants. He'll come into the kitchen when I'm making a meal for everybody and suddenly he'll need the sink. So then he gets irritated because there are things in the sink and angrily moves the dirty dishes to the counter so he can do whatever. Lately, he seems to be in the need to be in the kitchen whenever I'm doing something. If I'm walking toward the fridge, he steps in front of me, stomps his foot like I'm in his way. I'll say something like, where do you want me? I'm trying to cook dinner. And he'll say, I'm trying to stay out of your way. It's constant, and she says it's predictable, yet I fall for it and I end up feeling incompetent. Every day I could go on and on with examples. To which then someone else said, this is me totally, but mostly in the bathroom. We share a sink, and if he's in there, which he takes a really long time, I come in to brush. He would glare at me and comment about me getting in his way, but then I started noticing that he would come in and do the same thing. Someone then said, I wanted to comment on the first part of this comment to me. She said, I remember trying to explain to a friend that I was anxious and emotionally upset because... My narcissistic partner wasn't speaking to me, and it sounded so petty to her because she had no clue how the silent treatment would always lead into a tirade of all the things I did wrong. His silent treatment gives me PTSD. I didn't have a lot of time to explain anything. It's hard to be seen as petty, and then to be counseled to be more forgiving and to give the benefit of the doubt. Someone else said, for me, it's been the tone and the volume when he spoke to me and the look on his face. When I've tried to tell him he's being hurtful, he says my perception of him is hurtful because he didn't say anything. The old, I'm sorry that you feel that way. To which somebody else then said, you don't need to be upset today. There's nothing wrong today. Remember yesterday when you weren't emotional? Can we go back to that? What are we we can be okay today? Or someone then said, or how the kids can't eat their dinner the right way. Another person commented and said, I'm not sure I like your therapist very much. Or, oh, are you really going to go see those friends knowing they don't like them? We'll tackle this down the road. But the concept of sequestering, it's control of who they think that you should or should not see. Someone then said, leaving a church meeting, he would ask me if I noticed how mad somebody was at me for interrupting them. Or after a family dinner, how mad one of my children was at me for something I said or did. Then he would let me worry and even cry. When I would go to the person and apologize, they would have no idea what I was talking about. And then that led to a whole thread of other people uh, jumping in and saying, I experienced this as well. I think it's because they want to see us in a negative light. They assume this evil motive for us, their target. Another reason why they don't is because it keeps the focus off of them and the gaslighting is a part of it. I decided not to play his game, not show up at his family events where he would just ignore me, Or treat me like I had some offensive disease and I would let him go without me. And this gave him free range, though, to trash talk me. If he ever wanted a companion, I said, it sounds like a setup. I'll pass. I'll I'll wrap up these examples with this one. The person said, I've learned that people only understand within their ability to do so. In other words, unless they have actually experienced narcissism, they won't be able to understand what you're talking about. They just walk away shaking their heads, saying to themselves, she's crazy. This guy she's talking about couldn't possibly be abusive. He does all these great things and he's so friendly. She said, I don't share me problems with anyone anymore. It doesn't help. Instead, I put my efforts into becoming stronger so the bullets bounce off and I now know what I'm dealing with and what to expect. I'm learning in my worth and my self-care. I'm learning to help others navigate their way through this confusing abuse. I am protected. I'm watched over. I'm learning to help my narcissistic husband through his thinking errors. He's actually becoming a little bit more tolerable, but I must always keep vigilant and ready for a crisis at all times. I have to keep my cool and my wise brain primed. I must shore up my own identity and know my core beliefs as they are constantly challenged. I'll look for the good in others and myself. I won't make excuses for them either. We treat others with respect, not because they deserve it, but because we, deserve, we ourselves are a decent person. Be true to yourselves and be as kind as possible. And she gave hugs, which I love. And, and it, that couldn't be said better. Uh, the journey that you're on, if you identify with these, if you're hearing these, is that this concept of differentiation, where one person ends and the other begins... We want to help you get differentiated, that you are an amazing person. If you're a religious person, you're a child of God with your own unique talents and abilities and gifts. Even if you you don't um, view yourself in this uh, religious vein, you are still the only person that has gone through the experiences that you've had in your life, period, end of story. And from a differentiated standpoint, when somebody tells you how you're supposed to think, feel, or believe, or behave, I always say, how adorable that this person thinks that they have the right to tell me how I'm supposed to react or feel. You're the only person, again, going through life. You can have twins stand side by side and view the same input and then have them write out their experience and it will be a different output. So, of course, you have a different experience. And if right now you're saying, well, but, but he does too, so I need to, bless your heart. You're the pathologically kind person. And we talked in a previous um, episode about the concept of human magnet syndrome. Pathological kind person meets pathological narcissist. And then it forms this human magnet and it is very, very hard to get out of. It's a process. It takes as long as it takes. And I feel like the people that are going through this understand what that means. I work with so many people that they say, okay, I I just, I don't want to break up my family. I don't want to lose my family. So now that I have this information, I'm armed, I'm equipped, I'm going back in and Everyone, uh, most of the people in their lives are going to say, Don't, or people that really understand what's going on. As a therapist who sat with hundreds of those people now over the years, you know it's hard and you feel like you need to make sure you exhaust every option. I had a client one time say that they had this realization that they could come up with every option continually. There was always another option. Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this at this time? Did I do this at this way? And oftentimes I do feel like that is your brain just wanting waiting waiting till something is just going to completely click into place that will then make this easy and i just i wish that there would be a way for this to be easy but the more that you gather data the more that you feel heard the more that you connect with people that understand and i think that's one of the concepts i guess the negative part of recording this over three different segments is on our group call last night which was phenomenal I brought up again the concept of uh, someone talking about Switzerland friends. No, off- no, I say no offense to Switzerland. Switzerland sounds amazing. I'd love to go there. But the concept of Switzerland friends are those who are neutral that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to take sides. And unfortunately or fortunately in this scenario, those the emails I get on a daily basis now of, of, regarding this podcast are that people do need to find the people that aren't just sitting in the middle, people that hear you, that understand, that empathize, not the ones that say, well, what did you do? because that's what you have been going through in your marriage or in your relationship, the what did you do? And you are finally realized, I, I, I didn't do the things that I'm being accused of. I'm being manipulated, I'm being emotionally abused, I'm being gaslit, I'm being controlled, and none of that equates to love and connection and a secure attachment. Whew, gotta get off my soapbox. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I, I didn't anticipate this one going this long or in this direction. But I am just so grateful for the people that are reaching out. Please know that if you are are emailing me, I am trying to get those down uh, as best I can and try to address them. I I have so many plans for this podcast. I didn't expect this one to go to get as uh, big as it has. That sounds like I'm tapping into my own narcissistic tendencies or traits. But my point being, I I have an amazing practice, some incredible opportunities, creating courses for addiction recovery, marriage. I got one coming up on faith journeys. And so this project is a passionate project of mine, and I want to give it more attention. And so we got to figure out ways to make that happen because there is such a need. But again, I I see you. I hear you. You can share anything. Go through the website, TonyOverbay.com, the contact. Those come right to me, and I will try to get back to people as I can. But I I am compiling all this information. And if you are a woman who's in a relationship or getting through a relationship or have been in one in the past or whatever, if you need that support, reach out. There's a group there that is just growing and it is so empowering for people to share the stories. So have an amazing day and uh, I will see you next time on Waking Up to Narcissism.